This program is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you like what you hear and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm. The Foreman Corporation, moving forward to a brighter future. Where do you live? I'll take you home. Uh, nowhere. Uh, well, not, not in London. Oh, are you staying at a hotel? No. D- do you know any? Well, I know this bloke who runs an apartment block. You could probably stay there for a bit. Uh, have I got enough to rent an apartment somewhere? Oh, yeah, plenty. I-, I need to get a car, too. You can buy my one if you want. Right. Could do with the extra money, actually. Yeah, you'll like this place my mate runs. All pretty posh, I think. Your type, isn't it? I'm not posh. <laughs> no, of course not. You're listening to Audio Dramatics on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB in London. I'm Alex Fitch, and this is the bi-monthly show looking at audio dramas released on CD, MP3, and broadcast on the radio. The clip you've just heard was an extract from Dilation, written and directed by Max Hockrad. Sinead Jones played Amanda, the time traveller, and Rebecca Ross, a fixer called Marnie, who becomes Amanda's friend as the drama progresses. Released by Parsec Productions and B7 Media. In this sci-fi drama, Sinead Jones plays Amanda, a time traveller from the 1970s, who turns up in a dystopian future with a possible solution to the energy crisis. Time travelling women is the overall theme of today's show, as although we're living in a year with no new episodes of Doctor Who, played by Jodie Whittaker, there are still plenty of women travelling through time and space using various types of time machine. Later in the show, I'll be talking to Jessica Martin, an actress who was in the classic version of Doctor Who on TV in the 1980s, playing an alien werewolf called Mags in the Sylvester McCoy drama The Greatest Show in the Galaxy. Jessica is now reprising that role in the audio version of Doctor Who, now promoted to a fully-fledged companion alongside Sylvester's Doctor, and she also appears in audio dramas where Tom Baker plays the Doctor and in recreations of old episodes of The Avengers. However, in the first part of today's show, I'm talking to Max Hockrad about Dilation. This new British sci-fi drama is available now on MP3, to download from B7 Media, and as I said before, tells the story of a time traveller who has come to a dystopian future where the people of Britain are living in a ravaged world with not enough supplies and energy to get around. Your background is as a filmmaker, so what was it like going from a visual medium to one that's purely aural? Uh, challenging, but interesting. Um, it's an unsurprising answer. Um, I actually also have, a, I originally started actually my, my, my adult life as a musician. Uh, so ah. I've always had, a, I've had a fascination with sound since I was, well, as far as I can remember, um, not just through music, uh, but not, not just with music, but, uh, with sound design and, um, a sound experimentation as well. So yes, going actually, I was combining a lot of interests by sort of doing a project like this. But yes, it is quite a challenge. In fact, Dilation was originally a film script, mm. uh, and it was I was wondering how on, on earth I would put this on because it's actually quite an ambitious script in terms of um, its locations and, mm. and, and production design would be 
quite expensive, even for even though we, it's not it's not Star Wars. But I thought, uh, borrowing some ideas from a previous project I did, I thought maybe I could realise this as an audio play because at least we can take this to strange places or very sort of exotic places without spending <laughs> a lot of money. Mm. But the challenge is, yes, yes, you've got that advantage. But as you know, uh, with audio drama, you've it's the challenge is telling the story. Uh, you've got to, you've it's telling the story without being obvious. You've got to imply what's going on uh, and give an idea. If you are on Mars, you've got to give give a good impression, uh, give a good impression of what Mars is. Mm. But you've only got audio with which to do it. And if you're not careful, you can it can just become cliched or stupid, or you have you know you don't want to say obvious things about where you are. You've got to do it in as subtle as um, and as intelligent way as you can. So mm. that, yeah, that's that's difficult. Yeah. And the, the plot of um, the story about a female time traveller coming from the 1970s to the near future with perhaps the solution to their energy crisis, I thought was it was quite interesting as a time travel idea that she leaves uh, a time period where there were brownouts and energy shortages, travels 40 yeah. years into the future where there were brownouts and energy yes. shortages. <laughs> so yeah. everything's changed, but also everything stayed the same. Yeah, it, it's, um, I mean, she's... It, She's, she was the original idea was that she's running away from her past mm. uh, she's um she had this she invented this incredible um, energy store this this amazing possibly part nuclear device I only imply that really with the script mm. um it, it it could it could solve a lot of problems uh, and, and and as whenever you get a great idea especially if it's gonna make a lot of money a lot of other interested parties become you know get become involved or try and get involved with it um and she was running away from a lot of things and that's one of the problems with her she's a bit of a genius but she's useless emotionally she's quite withdrawn and insular so she can't really deal with any kind of attention uh, and yes it seems like as it's sort of you know she's in the conversations she has throughout the film she's she thought things would be better mm. um one of the inspirations actually with the film is from my childhood when i used to i remember in the 1970s when programs like tomorrow's world and and all sorts of future looking futuristic or programs that were looking forward so they were always making predictions about we'd we'd just be you know robots would be doing our work and you know we'd just be spending our time playing football or doing something else um, which yes they are doing our work but a lot of people nobody's really relaxing we seem to be doing more than ever so that things sort of got worse or they've just seen nothing seems to change i think she's frustrated with that in the story actually is what she, what she comes to find and it's it seems to be the same old, same old in a way. Mm. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not suggesting that perhaps you're commenting on the politics of the days that we live in right now. But no, it does not, feel no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it does feel like the lot of the kind of you know xenophobia and and fear of change that was around in the 1970s has actually been regurgitated in the present day. So in some respects, we have you know taken several steps backwards. Yeah, I, it's. I think um, it has crept in. I didn't realise it, but it. I suppose with any kind of writing, what is going on around you, what you're watching on TV, what you're reading about affects what you're writing. You can't live completely in a bubble. And it, what's going on politically at the moment did feed into the writing over the last few years um, uh, when I was putting it together. And I suppose it's sort of a cynical view that I'm putting across that it's, things don't really change much. Mm. Despite all the technology, yes, things are improving. Things are getting a little bit better, but we don't seem to change that much um and also you can't it's 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 a world that sort of it seems to sort of regress sometimes like you said Hmm. well indeed one of the reviews of dilation um compared it to quatermass and in particular i guess that would be the quatermass conclusion uh from 79 where 
it's actually now the near future and people are driving around in vans with kind of chicken wire over the uh, windscreen to stop, you know, people breaking it. While at yeah. the same time, there is this return to primitivism in the um, countryside. And in your story, when she goes out to kind of visit people in the countryside, they've started uh, worshipping people like Odin all over again. Yes, yes. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it, I, I have to be honest, there is an influence from that that last version, film version of Quatermass. Uh, I watched that as I was pretty young when I saw that, but it, it is that I was influenced a lot by that sort of atmosphere. It's not as, I don't, it's not as dystopian as that. I wasn't mm. setting this out to be too bad a world um and it's and it is testing tended to be an, an alternative version of, of what we are now but in that 1984 way uh, it might be supposed to be a different sphere or a different environment but actually it really is the environment it is i am talking about what's going on and the fact that people seem to be maybe with the rise of sort of certain views the sort of anti-vac movement and things like that anti-vaccination movement that people mm. seem to be rejecting science and things that have been proven to work quite well not everybody but mm. but as I would always say, it's always been there. Unfortunately, with the people talk about the resurgence of racism and, and, and of, of anti-Semitism and things like that, and all sorts of things, and, and Islamophobia as well. That's It's always been there. Mm. Um, it's never really gone away. It just seems to sort of maybe certain things that are going on and giving people the courage to, uh, you know, give some things that gives them the right to start talking about these things bluntly, where we thought we got a little bit better than that. But mm. yeah, <laughs> it's... Uh, it's um yes there is it is there is some, there I have borrowed some dystopian ideas and things like that. <laughs> it's it's interesting that we're um, talking today on a day that on social media, thinking on the positive aspects of social media, uh, NASA yeah. are sharing the first photograph of a black That's hole. That's right. Yeah. Um, and the title of the piece, uh, dilation, um, time dilation, is something that is kind of used as a sci-fi term to talk about the way that time changes as you approach a, a black hole yeah but i guess there's also the double meaning of uh, because your lead character is pregnant you know that's something that she's kind of racing against to get all the things done she wants to get done before all of a sudden she has a miniature human to look after as well yes i mean it's just i sort of piled on for her i suppose really she's not only has she sort of lost her boyfriend or doesn't know where he is but then you know she finds out she's carrying his child potentially so um well, not potentially it is his i don't know who else it would be really um she's not you know her, her, she didn't have many relationships in her previous life so um it it is just yes that there's it's a good point you know that the, her life is dilating uh that it sort of seems to be coming to a, um, a pinched point or something um and you know certainly i i what i wanted to do with this would with the dilation sort of exercise it is somebody actually asked me this earlier today is it sort of in a different parallel world it's not it's not it, it's not it's like it's, it's on the same timeline she's just concertina if that's the correct word mm. uh the timeline that she's on and it sort of fast forwarded her to see the result of what a lot of things she's involved with she doesn't like to admit it but she's you know she's helped cause a lot of the problems potentially that she sees mm. um and it's just the I mean, I was interested in, with this play to, with the script to discuss the psychological impact of time travel. That's mm. that's a bit of an influence I got from Interstellar uh, because that I think was attempted. I, I'm not probably not the first time, but it's an early attempt at looking at what it would be like to see time compressed in front of you. I, your children, in, in the lead character in that film, his his children were getting older than him faster. Mm. And then he comes back and like he meets his daughter who's about to, and she's on her deathbed almost, yeah. you know, she's very old. So I was interested in that. So it's just the, how, how you know, to, trying to, even though we have no idea what it's like, we may never find out what it's like. 
but just to look at what it would be like to sort of face your future fast forwarded uh, for real mm. and see where it see had see what it was like and also just I was trying to as well with the um, what I call dilation lag sequences, the, the strange sort of episodes that she has, where it's probably to most viewers, it sounds like she's having an out-of-body experience or similar. That That is, you know, I'm sure if you travel at very, very fast speeds, mm. if you are approaching the speed of light, we don't know. I mean, I don't even know that would even kill you because of the force it would have, the forces you would, you would experience. It's bad enough taking off in a, <laughs> in a rocket going into orbit now, mm. but... Uh, the uh it just, i was just wondering what it what sort of that would be like for you physically but also psychologically because if you are messing with the space time continue it's possibly going to do something to you psychologically as well i would mm. have thought you know that your your mind is twisting things in a virtual way but also there may be a physical impact on your conception of time so that's that's just, just i'm just hinting at what you know maybe some of the problems and some of the interesting things that may happen well i mean even though uh the plot does resolve a lot of the issues that you raise in the drama i guess it does leave it open for a sequel and it would be interesting if you did a follow-up where we find out maybe you know the time travel hasn't had an effect on her baby because it'll have been the first fetus to travel through time as well absolutely no there's there's a, it does leave a, few, a lot of questions open um i actually think if we were to do dilation two or whatever it would be called um it's probably actually marnie's story as well because i think mm. we leave her with the keys to the system she's got the power to maybe take back some control. Um, so uh, it would be interesting to see sort of where, you know, what, 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 what she can do. And then, but then, the, you know, you could, there's also possibilities for looking back at Amanda's history as well, seeing where she came from, some of the little bit, some of the origins of the story. So yeah, you mm. can, there is the, the more I think about it, there are sort of interesting things you can do with looping time back and forwards and, not reversing back in time. I don't yeah. allow that in anything I write because that's not allowed <laughs> under physics, as you probably know. You know. Dilation is allowed under physics, although it would, I don't know how we'll, we'll ever get to the speeds needed to do it. Mm. Um, although we do actually experience it when you every time you travel on a plane, but it's only you 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 gain about a billionth of a second. I think huh. I don't know what the I don't know what the maths is, but it does happen. Huh. Um, but yeah, not not in a significant way. But uh, yeah, it's it's yes, it's uh, I'm I'm just interested in actually just the sort of the. The results of this, it's getting away from just a pure time travel adventure. It's really just, it was a vehicle really in a way for somebody just to sort of, just to look at someone's experiences and seeing what actually happened. If, if you know, if you were able to sort of fast forward uh, and it, it's just, and I'm look. I also am touching on a hope for human things of like the idea that you can't, you can never really run away from things, even if you have the most exotic way of doing it. Mm. Um, if things tend to catch up with you, uh, even if it's not from the same person and in her case a lot of people are dead or you know too old or something so <laughs> it's uh it, it's it, things do have an effect usually indeed but thinking of uh classic time travel adventures i couldn't help but notice that the mysterious uh company that exists in the story of dilation and al also actually in the short film that's on oh, yeah. your website <laughs> is called foreman uh, mm. which was the name of the junkyard that the first episode of Doctor Who was set in. I didn't know that. Oh, okay. Coincidence. That, How funny. That's, it's, yeah. Well, mate, oh, and there may be some, oh, okay, obviously somebody's travelled in time or somebody's done something or oh, I picked up on something, but I didn't actually know that. Is that from the fir very first series? Is yeah, the, the, first episode? the very first episode. The, the name which on I've the outside seen. of the junkyard is I am Foreman. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, maybe a, oh, he may have maybe a story in that. Yeah. Something in it's, your subconscious anyway. <laughs> yeah. Because I have actually seen that very first episode. I think they showed it on an anniversary some years ago. Yeah, so. indeed. Um, 
But yeah, oh, interesting. Funny. Um, but I think, you know, uh, speaking of the short film, it's really nice that you seem to be developing a shared universe for your work. Um, and in the short that is on your website, which is all about a young woman moving into an apartment where it seems like the low rent is too good to be true, it yeah. turns out that she's surrounded by screens that she can't turn off that are always trying to sell her things, which yeah, I guess, sure. again, is kind of a satirical look at the world that we live in right now. Yeah, I mean, I always said, I mean, I did make that film a few years ago. It was, and it's, it predates the Twitterverse that we live in and the, the amount of advertising that surrounds us. Um, yes, we did have computers and email then, but it was <laughs> not, uh, the so social media existed, but I think it was just limited to MSN and things like that. Um, MSN network, uh, messenger, wasn't it? Yeah, mm. a little notepad thing. Um, and other sort of primitive forms. But it's, yeah, it was pre the sort of internet madness, I think, that we mm. have now. And because it's also, I think, broad, the fact that broadband has been introduced is more widely available now because it's before that had really been rolled out. So things weren't as fluid as online. People still had to use dial up. I wasn't at that time. But yeah, a lot of people were still on dial up in those days, I think. Mm. I think. But, um, well, not a lot of people have broadband, but it's, yeah, it's, it's funny. And I'm only saying, I'm to be honest, I'm not a pioneer with this. People have been saying things like that for years. You can go back mm. decades. People predicted this in science fiction books many years ago that the, not going way back before, beyond Blade Runner, before Blade Runner and films like that, which sort of showed us this kind of crazy future surrounded by sort of moving billboards. And, mm. you know, it's, uh, it, you know, the, the commercials that follow you down the street or something. <laughs> so, but yeah, but also this, that, I mean, that's a more satirical film and it, mm. I'm not against advertising. I was just at the time worried that things were going a little bit into overkill, which I suppose they have. Mm. Um, and now we have the algorithmic world, I guess, where people, you're being followed by, by your, your shopping list, I suppose. Yeah. Well, worse still, people actually willingly invited into their homes, you know, have an Alexa in every room. Yeah. You know, yeah. where Amazon that's is an old always side listening. Line. Oh, I know. That but is, it's it's yeah. funny that we've actually welcomed it. It's not even yeah. you know an intrusion that isn't unwanted. Well, I'm, well, for, I don't know if it's fortunately or unfortunately. I, you know, having seen 2001 at quite an early age and, you know, and I'd, I'd never really trusted the computer, but I, I remember seeing, I think it was, I don't know which one of the old Hollywood studios, one of the, what, whichever cartoon department did. I don't know if it was a Warner's one or an MGM one. It was one of their one-off cartoons that didn't feature any famous characters like Tom and Jerry or something mm. or Elmer Fudd or something or Bugs Bunny. I can't remember the studio that did it, but um, they had a... a, a it probably won't seem funny at all now if I saw it, but it was the house of the future. Mm. And I think it ended up ultimate. I seem to remember one of the final scenes of the, the house was lifted on a platform about two miles into the air with the owner stuck inside the house or something. It was just, out, this was about 1959 or something, mm. 62. So yeah, it's uh, but you're right. It's people are seeing. And also I, I do worry actually that my, my personal worry is that sort of children now seem to young people well, young adults as well, I think everything they do is going on a server somewhere. Mm. They're not living in domes and they have social lives. You know, they do normal things, but everything is being recorded, which is, it's been predicted for many years. So I guess my little film is just trying to sort of looking at a little slice of that. Mm. But uh, yeah, it is, you're right. It, it was, um, I was encouraged not to drop the former name by a friend of mine. He like, quite thought it was quite funny. Hmm. Uh, this strange, megalomaniacal sort of operation. Mm. 
Well, I, mean, um, I think it, I mean it's really nice actually to use that as a kind of world building exercise. That there may not be any other connections between your work, but if you just have this mysterious kind of futuristic organization in the background, it does suggest this malevolence that has crept into everyone's lives in in different ways. Yeah, I, I think um, it's not an attack, particularly. You know, I think I, I, we're not going. This is in the political discussion, mm. but I think um, the I think human beings need a certain amount of freedom, which certain political systems without naming everything does everything. It, all the dogmas, all the systems and ideals um, seem to, when they're in the most extreme form or most virulent form, place restrictions on people. But when you get something like capitalism, when you get corporations sort of taking, I mean, they do it, they're clever because they do it by stealth. It's like they, they're creating a monopoly by bribing us all. We're all victims to it, victims to it really at one time or another. We buy things, we buy things we probably don't need. And then it's like, and in this case, it's extreme. She has to, the only way she can get some peace and quiet is to just bloody buy everything. So mm. it is a fear there. I have a sort of, sort of, it's sort of totalitarianism by bribery, <laughs> because you know I think that's the that is the old left wing fear that you know the, the companies they claim to be operating in a free market, but then they a lot of the larger companies seem to try and wipe out the opposition, so they're the only ones left. Mm. Which place they can just put all the prices up, and we have one option, which is the foreman option. Mm. That's, that's what seems to have happened. So again. I'm not a pioneer. This is an old, not even science fiction idea. It's an old political idea. So, mm. but it is, yeah, it is, it is, it is a link. And there, there is also just, there is an, uh, the, we took some influence from that little film and some other ideas and scripts around from that time to go into dilation, which was the, we did run some of the com- same similar sort of commercials that run in, in, in cost of living, the little short film. Although we had to be careful because dilation is more of a straight drama. Mm. We had to turn them down a bit because <laughs> because t- they are, not always wacky, but they're just they're, just, they're intended to be a little bit outlandish. Mm. But we had to keep a bit of a lid on that uh, post production wise because it's not as silly as cost of living is. No, indeed. <laughs> and the um and the other link between the two projects is that both have a female protagonist. Is yeah. that something that's important to you as a creator? The first with cost of living. Um, it just felt right. I was asked at the, near the time, you know, whether this was, this was deliberate. Um, I may be being a little bit cliched and old-fashioned, um, and it, you know, p- putting somebody into that position, you know, would it would a woman be more interested in shopping, for instance? You know, I could be being a bit sexist about it, actually. You know, just my slightly old-fashioned way of thinking. But it wasn't a conscious move to do it. It just felt right. Hmm. But I may be, I may be, maybe I could be pulled down for that. Uh, with dilation, um, it was actually a suggestion of a friend of mine who just suggested flipping at least the main character, and and it is a that is was more that was more a response to sort of trying to sort of look at things in a different way, mm. uh, and I've tried to do it in as transparent a way as possible because I'm not a woman, I don't know anything that's you know I have no idea what it is like to grow up and to exist as a woman. So how the hell would I know what it like, what it's like to feel, what it is to feel like one, or to sort of what the experiences feel like? I'd have to work with a co-writer for that. Mm. Um, but uh, I've tried to make it as transparent as possible. So it just happens to be a woman, and it's the same things. Trying to put some femininity into what I do know, what I've picked up over the years, and trying to do some intelligence with it. Not intended to be a feminist tract at all. I wouldn't attempt that, but. It's just, it is just a matter of just flipping it over just for, just for the hell of it, just to see what it's like. And also just to sort of try, just to, um, it is trying to, 
even up the playing field a bit as well. I think that's that's part of the intention. Mm. Um, why not? Why is it always? Because I probably would default, uh, being of a certain age, to to putting people into certain roles. Mm. Uh, and but yes, it was a suggestion, and I thought, yeah, it'd be good to sort of just flip it up. But also because I don't have any knowledge, any female knowledge, really, it's just to uh, to make it as straightforward as possible and no difference. There's no like they don't paint their car pink with flowers on the, you know, it's just no cliched feminine touches just to make it just a couple and it just it just happens just a couple of mates different sorts of personalities but they find some kind of bond in the story and they help each other Mm. and they just go on a little trip and why can't it just be that that's my sort of that's my feminist angle on it why can't it just be two women for a change Mm. well and it Um, it does mean that you also pass the uh, Bechdel test because the two lead characters do have conversations and they're not about men (laughs) no 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 it's it's well there is the boyfriend I mean sure but not solely yeah no no I don't think Marnie's interested but it's um it yeah it's that it was it, it is my little attempt at sort of evening the play playing field and trying something different but as I keep saying, I have to point out, it's not, I hope it sort of, um, it appeals to people and it works and sort of rings true just as a couple mm. of interesting characters. But but there is, I think there there is a feminine side to them. I try to keep them. They do look at things in a different way. They're not so blokey, I hope. I mean, Marnie's quite robust, but that's because he's a street kid. She has to be streetwise. So, you know, um, I've had to sort of had her grow up in care. So she's pretty tough. Mm. Um, but I hope there's still... A slightly different angle with it we'll have to see what people think mm. well then it also means that you kind of flip the scenario of interstellar on its head where in the lead character in that arrives in the future his um daughter is about to die of old age while yes. in this story um when your lead character arrives in the future her unborn child will never meet uh its father because no. he's just died of old age yeah it's uh, and I, I'm sure I'm getting it probably for all the way back from Alien because I don't know why they decided Ripley would survive. You know, it's funny for a director like Ridley Scott, who's you know, who's now I think he's 80 now or something or more mm. than that, but he's uh, 82, I think. He, you know, he, he he's been accused of all sorts of things over the years of you know making propaganda films and films with dodgy politics or something. It, they actually did. I mean, even thinking of Thelma and Louise, but it's it's he. They I don't know whose decision it was, whether it was Dan O'Bannon's decision to write the, the female hero to, to be the survivor but mm. i'm sure i'm pick i'm picking up a little bit of that mm. as well just just trying to sort of give somebody else a shot at sort of leading the charge as it were yeah or some kind of charge <laughs> charge somewhere <laughs> confusing journey um so what's next for uh, parsec uh, more audio dramas a return to film or a bit of both oh, but i suppose ideally everything um <laughs> it'd be nice yeah i mean it's it's people have asked, you know, would there be uh, another review sort of suggested that you know, there could be more from this 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 universe, this, mm. the dilation universe. So yeah, there could be be nice to pick up the trails of that if there's any interest in that, any any appetite for that to do that. I am trying to develop a script at the moment, something new, which could possibly be audio drama, which is to do. It's very undeveloped. So I'm not being evasive. I just don't <laughs> know quite what it is yet. But it's some ideas circulating about. Um, somebody's controlling something to do with the solar system so something quite crazy hmm. but it's actually about the maybe a journey to discovery of a discovery of someone's abilities when people think she didn't have it again it's it's focused around a woman again hmm. um i think i'm trying to sort of just continue some of the ideas so she's it's it's my ideas about family and things and what people expect of different members of the family and then so somebody's doing something and the family don't realize how 
bright she is and how what she's actually capable of. So, so that sort of it's a little bit more emotionally based, maybe. So that's that's some idea, and also to do with modern technology, just to see you know the way that people seem to be doing things and how it's used as a cover for things. So hmm. that's sort of going around. Um, be nice to do dilation as a film because that's what it was originally. I mean, I really enjoyed this audio journey because it's brought something else completely different out of it. Hmm. And, in, and in fact, I had to reversion the script obviously for radio, but I actually it became another rewrite, it became another draft. So hmm. some of the ideas from the radio script actually went back into a film script, I actually copied them back into the old film version because hmm. I developed some new scenes and ideas, and the ending changed from the film version. That would be nice. But that's it's a difficult one because it, I think it would be a fairly expensive project to do. Yeah, I mean that is uh, the great thing about audio drama is that you're making like the hundred million dollar version of something because you don't have to yes. build the sets or the costumes. You know? But that's that's where it's good to work with someone like Andrew Saul from B Seven mm. and Helen and Helen Quigley who uh, works with him, and it's it's because of the experience there to help create the drama. I you know we did of he the, the edit that you're hearing is more or less the same as when Andrew came on board. Um, but we've just worked on sound design. It was his encouragement to do a soundtrack. There wasn't much of a music soundtrack before, mm. um, even though I'm a musician originally. But So that was good. And then we worked on sound design. And then uh, we brought in somebody called Alistair Locke, who's worked with Andrew many times to mm. do a mix on it and to actually freshen it up and sort of make it, you know, as I keep saying, radio fire, which is, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just he's, he'll make it work on different devices and make sure you can hear everything, just sorting out the balances between things. Um, and without their help, it wouldn't have sounded as good. Um, yeah. And it's been, it has been a, quite a journey on it. And it is, yes, you can take it to Mars or to, to strange, <laughs> go to different dimensions. But it's, you know, it's it's that skill. Uh, there is the skill you have to develop to to tell the story without being silly and obvious, as I'm sure you know. It's, it's just getting that's that's the real challenge to tell it without being cliched and being coming. I think what some one filmmaker called Irving the Explainer. <laughs> which was in film and telling people exactly what is going on. Which yeah. I think I worry people seem to want these days. They seem to need everything explaining. So I do, I do like to leave things a little bit up in the air and let, let people sort of think for themselves. And uh, it's, I've always thought, even if people don't quite understand what's going on, as long as they've been entertained and sort of enjoy it. <laughs> we still trying, you know, tr- we try anyway. Cool. Dilation is available now as an MP3 download from Parsec Productions and B7 Media. And you can download the play now for £7.50 from b7media.com. To play out the first half of today's show, here's another clip from Dilation, in which Amanda finds that her ex-boyfriend from the past has unfortunately just passed away in the future present that she's arrived in, and she receives the bad news from Emily, played by Antonia Davies. Um, I I remember when you disappeared. Tom talked about you for years. Of course, I was just glad to have you out of the way. Oh, I was only jealous. You were, well, still are gorgeous, super clever, everything I'm not. You haven't changed a bit. Did he tell you what really happened? Oh, God, I nearly forgot the lemon tree. Oh, that's better. (laughs) I really love Tom, you know. I know. And he loved you. He can't have. He didn't follow me. My dad. You know how persuasive he could be. 
And anyway, he had your equipment smashed up. Destroyed. What? He found out about it. Your time travel thing. It is time travel, isn't it? He didn't tell me anything at the time, but anyway... How did he know about it, your, your father? Oh, that was Barclay. Oh, you didn't know any of this, did you? Nothing tea won't fix. You look very sad. I shouldn't, but I feel sorry for you. You've come back here to find nothing, really. A grey world that's dying. I shouldn't have left in the first place. In the second half of today's show, I'm talking to actress Jessica Martin about her various roles for Big Finish Productions, reprising the role of Mags, an alien werewolf she first played in the 1980s in the serial The Greatest Show in the Galaxy, now reunited with Sylvester McCoy's Doctor in a trilogy of four-part stories released on CD and MP3 from this month onwards. Jessica has also appeared alongside Tom Baker's Doctor in a serial called Last of the Colophon, and to give you a flavour of these audio productions, here's Jessica's character, Deputy Surveyor Sutton, traversing an alien landscape with Tom Baker's Doctor and his companion Leela, played by Louise Jameson. Doctor, we are heading to the source of the radio transmission. Yes, it seems this planet isn't quite as dead as we first thought. Keep up, you two. Don't think you can sneak away by lagging behind. Deputy Sutton, you have a very suspicious nature. Has anyone ever told you that? One or two. I took it as a compliment. Why have you come to survey this planet? We're here to see if any of the worlds are suitable for colonisation, or if there's anything of economic value. You mean precious stones? Yeah. Won't be anything like that here, though. Whatever civilization was here before will have exhausted all the fossil fuels. How terribly inconsiderate of them. Does your family not mind you travelling out to the stars? My family? They abdicated any interest in my well-being when I was purchased by the consortium. So they do not care for you? They recoup their investment. What more could a family want? I hope to make the same investment myself one day. I'm talking to Jessica Martin, who, after a small number of years, is reprising the part of uh, Mags the Werewolf, which was originally a character in The Greatest Show in the Galaxy in 1988. Yes. Uh, on TV in Doctor Who, and is now uh, a part that is featuring in 12 episodes uh, for Big Finish. You've previously been featured in A Big Finish, where you played a kind of feisty, Liverpudlian matriarch who came across uh, the Doctor, Ace and Hex in their travels. It was called Signs and Wonders by Matt Fitton, who incidentally has written the first of our Mags-centric audio dramas. Um, And the piece had Sylvester McCoy playing Seventh Doctor, who, of course, I was Mags in, in his yeah. Seventh Doctor season. But I played an entirely different character, Reverend Janet Green, obviously a female vicar in the modern times, who comes across as being a very plausible character, but she has got uh, a character that's elemental, alien, and wonderfully... Um, pertinent to having this this Liverpudlian scenario. She is basically, she's a a water element of the Mersey. And that's all I'll say. You just have to get the series and find out more. Nice. Um, And did that part come about 
because of your previous connections to Doctor Who, were you looking to do more audio work and the stars aligned? The stars certainly aligned, and I wasn't going looking for the Doctor Who big finish work. Thankfully, it came looking for me, and I think what really kicked it all off was in 2012, The Greatest Show in the Galaxy was re-released on DVD, and at that time, I was asked, along with Christopher Gard, um, Stephen Wyatt, who wrote the original series, and Sophie and Sylvester and myself, we all convened in a studio. We just sort of talked about our memories. Sorry, I must mention Mark Ayres, who was the composer, and he's very much a part of the ongoing classic Doctor Who scene. And he goes out to Gallifrey One, which I have been to now twice as well. So we did that. Um, revival of the DVD and at that time it was prior probably about a year prior to me writing and illustrating my very first comic and that's a subject I know is dear to your heart as well Alex because our paths are crossed in comic conventions so I think um, I, I hadn't gone into the comic side but there was a revival of interest in that particular storyline and the seventh doctor and a few months later, I got a call from Big Finish and I did my first guest cameo, not with Sylvester, but with my childhood icon, Tom Baker, which was, oh my God, that was absolutely amazing. And that's a chapter for another book of mine sometime in the future. He, he was just, I mean, you know, it was like he had this script for when a person first meets Tom Baker. He just gave you all of the, um, the theatrical, larger-than-life persona, uh, the, the, the fruity stories, which I think he's known for as well, and, and very tear-jerking, sort of Dickensian tales about his childhood, you know, about growing up barefoot in Liverpool and, and being sent to a seminary as a, as a young Catholic novice monk, but of course he left and he's hardly lived like a monk since. So, I mean, I just got the full-on Tom Baker show. It was wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Um, But, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, you have a background as an impressionist, so you can do a huge variety of voices. So, what was it, uh, I think, about your back catalogue that made Big Finish think you'd be great as a kind of feisty, Liverpudlian, <laughs> mysterious kind of matriarchal nun? Well, I think that was a direct prompt to do Missilla Black, which I was known for back in the day, you know. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, no, well, as you say, I mean, I, I was, uh, first of all, known early in my career for my impressions, and I did impressions of both sort of well-known light end personalities and I also did uh, sort of you know people um, in, from the political world and the royals in Spitting Image so um, although nowadays it's ironic that that's kind of a whole chapter of my life that is kind of so far I mean that's even beyond Doctor Who um, but when I did Doctor Who I was at the height of my fame on television as an impressionist and um, you know, I'll get on to the story of how I actually came into Doctor Who from the Impressionist world in a minute. But it was my facility for, uh, if you like, shape-shifting vocally that got me the part of Mags um, in the first instance for Doctor Who. And then, yes, big finish. It was kind of like a no-brainer. One, I was a Doctor Who alumni actress, plus 
I have the facility to do the different voices, etc. So, yeah, so I got that lovely cameo in Matt Fitton's um, drama. And then, as I mentioned, I did Last of the Colophon with Tom Baker. So that's two Doctor Who stories. And I was also uh, asked to do a couple of characters. And I'm sorry, Big Finish, I can't even remember the names of the characters. <laughs> but they were lovely sort of, you know, two-minute roles in okay. The Avengers, which was another wonderful opportunity for me to do something that, you know, I'd grown up watching on television. And I, I know the style of those kind of characters from your kind of mid-1960s dramas. So that was, a, a, you know, a chance for me to do... What you're doing is it's heightened characterization. You know, they're not meant to be... We're, we're not on Love Island now. We're back in the 60s in a cult series and people spoke in a certain way and I was hoping that I could bring something of that to the party. Yeah. Well, before... Um we started recording you were saying that we seem to be living in an era where RP is now actually coming back into fashion and obviously with those kind of classic Avengers episodes that was kind of the norm you'd get either a kind of RP or a Cockney gangster and yes. not much in between yes <laughs> I know and your Cockney gangster had a sort of a way of talking that's you know you don't you don't hear it down Essex now it's uh I mean, it's genuine company, don't yeah. get me wrong, mate. It's it, it, well, not rather, but that's how they spoke. It was a kind of strange, strange kind of a way. And if you're, if you're watching um, London Live, I think it is, or Talking Pictures, oh, my goodness, Talking Pictures Channel is just a gift for these <laughs> long-lost black and white gems of the 50s and 60s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I re-watched um, uh, The Greatest Show in the Galaxy last week and then listened to... Uh, monsters of Gokroth so I could do the double bill uh, back to back and even actually with your performance in The Greatest Show in the Galaxy the growl that you have to do when you finally transform into the wolf towards the end of the serial doesn't sound like it's particularly easy on the throat <laughs> oh phew I'm glad you I thought for a moment you were going to say did they digitally do something no I had to do the growl I had to I mean when I look back on it, actually, the role of Mags, that was my acting debut wow. uh, professionally. I mean, I'd done lots of acting, but really on television, I was only wanted, required as an impressionist. But, you know, it required uh, a lot of visual, non-speaking acting when I was Mags before she became a werewolf. And then this kind of very visceral, almost like method acting, try and find the darkest places in your psyche and just bring that to the character. Uh, yeah, and here I am, 30 years later... <laughs> and Mags is she's no she's no age because she's an alien and I had to do do not only that but small. Incidentally, you just mentioned you, you've listened to it. So is it actually out? Is it on download at the uh, moment? They or? sent me a preview copy. Oh, oh lucky you! <laughs> you only did this job so you get the advanced copies. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> is it good? Did yeah, you enjoy yeah. it? Yes. Yeah, very much. Good. <laughs> um, but presumably, I mean, when you're playing mags on TV, the boom mic must be several feet away. While when you're doing it for Big Finish, you're in a booth, so perhaps you don't have to growl quite as loudly. <laughs> well, we um, one of the lovely things about working at the Big Finish home studios uh, is that I won't mention the address because there'll be just you know there'll be fans going for miles around. But um, they you you get an individual booth, and that doesn't always happen. You know, even in a star-studded radio uh, drama you will have a couple of mics and everybody stands around their scripts and just moves away and comes in as when so as the featured guest in these stories I have my own booth and and yes I had to kind of accommodate 
whether I was doing the close-up or, you know, a raw, I had to back off the mic a bit. But it was, honestly, it was such great fun. Um, and I also have to mention our fabulous director, Sam Clemens, who I hope you'll do an interview with um, because, you know, Alex, he is part, he's, he, he's part of that cult TV legacy. He, you know the name, Clemens. Oh, Brian. Yes, he's his son. Okay. Um, and he is an actor and director uh, and a film director. And he just sort of had a great uh, sense of fun directing the pieces, but he was also very, very organised. To You know, he's obviously coming from the background where his father, you know, used to write these episodes and direct them and produce them. You just have to be very, have a very clear mind in, you know... Uh, d- delegating and uh, compartmentalising all the things you need to do and you know for Big Finish I, I'm very lucky because I'm one of these you know I, I am in the company of shall we say I'm not going to say bigger but people who've got very, uh, exceptional profile they're not just you know for me I'm what you call classic but there are people who are you know they, they might be going off to Los Angeles to do a Netflix series but they, but they want to do Big Finish because they're aware that you know the train is not going to go forever and the wonderful thing about having a CD or you know the download is that you've got something that's there that will last the eons of time and when you're old and wrinkly and you can't have any more Botox or you blow up you've got that thing that kind of keeps you crystallised at a time you know which the fans will want and yeah. the longer it goes on the more they want it <laughs> As it has been a 30-year gap between you first playing the character on TV and then reprising it for audio, I mean, the, the Doctor in the script talks about it being unfinished business, but as an actor, was it a character that you had an urge to return to, that you were curious, I wonder what she's up to, you know, many years later on different planets, having different adventures? <laughs> if I'm perfectly honest with you, no. I mean, okay. I was happily getting on with my life, and yeah. uh, I mentioned before the comics, well... I started writing and, and illustrating comics, and my first one was about Clara Bow, a movie star who I'm a fan of, who was alive in the 1920s, and not a hugely commercial subject, so I thought, but actually, you know, there you go, um, a niche subject, and, and comics are thought of as a kind of a niche, geeky kind of an area, uh, which I never saw myself in, you know, 30 years ago when I was playing Mags. However... Um, I mean, one of my first champions in the comics world was um, is Mark Buckingham, who is a fantastic illustrator for DC, and audio fans might also be fans of Fables, the Vertigo series that he's been the illustrator for. And I know everyone knows who Neil Gaiman is. Well, you know, Mark is doing the Miracle Man series with Neil Gaiman, and he's also done American Gods illustrations. So anyway, Mark, um, very early on in my comics journey... Um, agreed to kind of mentor me and um, one of the things that he was surprised by he spoke to me for about half an hour and then realised that he knew who I was because he is a massive Doctor Who fan and he grew up watching the seventh Doctor and he knew exactly who my character was so I think um, probably my curiosity about Mags started to uh, be aroused when various people were saying to me oh, we're thinking about doing a story for Mags. I mean, I'm not going to mention any names, but quite a few writers say, wouldn't it be great to, for Mags to have, you know, a spin-off story? And the, um, the idea didn't land initially. I mean, you know, there, I think at that time, it's the David Tennant era, 
and Matt Smith and actually, you know, Sylvester, much as we love him, is not, you know, not one of the cool doctors. Yeah. And then suddenly, um, yeah, I mean, possibly with the revival of, of the, D, the DVDs coming out, etc. But, you know, it, it was, I, I was suddenly being asked to go along to Doctor Who conventions. Mm. And then I got an invitation to go to uh, Gallifrey One, the American convention, which I'd never been to. Uh, and the invite came about because there was a comic colourist uh, called Charlie Kirchhoff who works with Mark Buckingham and I'd worked with him, who is also a massive Doctor Who fan and said, have you ever come out to the convention here? No, I haven't. Okay, I'm going to recommend to Sean Lyon, who organises it, that you come out. Mm. So I got this invite and actually I would say at the convention, uh, which was, that's about three years ago, that's when the interest in mags was suddenly percolating mm. and I had uh, Richard Dinnick who's a Doctor Who writer he's written a lot of the 13th Doctor series for Titan Comics he said that he wanted to write a story for mags for Titan yeah. um, and Matt Fitton over at Big Finish said you know we're thinking that we'd like to do well not just one but three stories for mags. Yeah. Keep it under your hat. So this is quite a long time ago. And I, <laughs> I've been keeping this under my hat for so long. And then suddenly, um, last November 2018, I was called into the studio and these finished dramas starring mags. Let's make no apology for that. They are featuring her. Yeah. And she's the Doctor's companion. Well, I was absolutely blown away because not only, you know, okay... I have three dramas written. They could be, who knows what they could be like, but it doesn't matter because the fact they're done means somebody's going to want them because they're Doctor Who. But I have to tell you, and I, you will back me up on this, Alex, but they are fantastic, um, well-written dramas that kind of stand on their own. You don't have to know about the backstory. And I think that's the kind of, that's really the litmus paper test for any brand, you know, dramas or, or narratives that come out you have to be able to enjoy them in their own yeah. right you can't yeah. just kind of go into your geeky insular world huh. of you know we know what we're talking about because you want to be bringing new audiences in as well yeah. and I guess what's interesting about the new mag stories is that while The Greatest Show in the Galaxy is kind of hard to pigeonhole in terms of genre, I guess surrealistic is actually probably yeah. the overall term yeah. these ones are more explicitly horror that the first one, uh, I think even the Doctor himself says, the mad scientist... She's a cross between Dr. Moreau and Dr. Frankenstein. And so it riffs on both of those stories. And then the upcoming ones, you get to return to Mags' home planet, which I think I've heard you describe is like a werewolf version of Game of Thrones. Yes. And then the third one um, is like a pastiche of an American werewolf in London. So I guess playing a werewolf character there's almost inevitability that in order to bring that character back, they were going to dip more into kind of the horror angle yeah. of that genre. Yes, the, the horror, but, you know, we've kind of now grown up, haven't we? And um, it's not enough to have the hammer horror, blood and gore thing and some scary, sinister-looking people. We, we want the psychological angle as well. And I think that's what we do get, was we get... You don't get goodies and baddies, you get these complex characters and... And Max is one of those as well. You know, she is, she she has got the means, being a, um, uh, not a vulpine, a lupine character, she could kill. And it's her choice as to where, but you know, 
human beings can kill, can't they? It's a choice that you make. So it's and it's not always an easy choice. So we we get these constant conflicts, and she manages her way or is helped through her way through through one obstacle and then there's something else that comes up. you know you open another door and oh my god there's another load of horrible things coming at you so um the i think that the the genius of the three pieces is that they are although as you say they are broadly horror but they are they're coming at different angles um the first one monsters of gothroth is it, it's kind of the universal horror yeah. the gothic thing uh, with the, the pitchforks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, with the with the gothic thing that you know, there's there's an intensity and a, and a sadness. Um, that thing of you know uh, this these lost creatures with with you know no hope lost in the forest. And then in the next one, you get um, not so much victimhood. I think I think you get Mags very much in charge of herself that she's. You know, she's been cast out or whatever the backstory. We're not quite sure how she got to leave her family, but she's kind of made it on her own on a different planet. And she goes back to what is essentially a kind of feudal, medievalistic style, you know, a style of of, um, of behaviour and culture that's, that is her, that's her tribe. That's where she's coming from. And so there you get more questions of... Um, you know, sort of gender-related things, you know, as, as, as a female, you, you uh, do you agree to be bought by the, the, the man who offers the, the biggest sovereign to the family, or do you fight to keep your independence? You know, those kind of questions. Um, and then there are, there are nothing but questions that come about with, you know, Alien Werewolf. It's just it's crazy. It's um, a lovely kind of... You, you can imagine, actually... If he was still alive, David Bowie would have made a great kind of guest character okay. <laughs> in that in that kind of uh, you know cavalcade of, of characters that that appear in Camden Lock yeah. and an Aussie vampire soap. Brilliant, <laughs> and it, it's kind of like a reversal of the original scenario that in Greatest Show in the Galaxy, the Doctor is travelling with Ace and comes across your character and then in an alien world in London he's travelling with you and comes across Ace so it's a real kind of like swap in terms of importance is the wrong word but you know in terms of the dynamic it's kind of the other way around which must be interesting as an actress to have been in one version of it and now in the other where the roles are kind of reversed yeah well here's the thing I mean I think this happens all the time even writers will write things and they're not quite aware of the the patterns or the dynamics or the hidden theme you know they're just kind of doing what they're doing and as an actor you're just kind of doing you know you get offered a role or not uh you audition for a role and you get it and then you find this is what happens in method acting but I think in any acting you find aspects of your personality that you can project onto the part so you find a kinship well um there's a lot of Mag's character, I think, in myself, uh, intrinsically. Um, I am a, not necessarily in terms of reaction to the full moon. Well, you don't know, Alex, do you? Nobody knows. Don't, don't go there. Um, and, you know, going back to this thing, of the other, the other question that I, I've been asked a lot over the years is, was, did you ever want to be the Doctor's companion? Or did you see that, did you see that your character and the captain in greatest show in the galaxy were like a mirror image of the doctor and ace no i didn't i was just playing my part i'm yeah. playing my part it never never saw those patterns but of course yeah now with hindsight 
and now with extra interest and now with yes actually looking at mags um as as a much more layered character than she was at the outset uh it, it is interesting to see that you know she she could have worked and and it doesn't matter that she could have because she is working as the doctor's companion that yeah. that little wish for whichever fans wanted it and i i must say for myself as a as an actor it is it's you know next to being made a dame it's quite an accolade to be made the doctor's companion so i don't uh i don't take that lightly <laughs> and i think you must be the only uh doctor who companion who has not only played the role but actually also drawn the character on the page because you drew a mags backup strip for the seventh doctor comic as well yes um as i mentioned earlier richard dinick uh, had this idea that he wanted to do a story for mags and uh the main story in the titan comic was uh by Andrew Cartmell who was the script editor on that seventh doctor series so he wrote operation volcano and richard came up with this fantastic kind of riff on casablanca called hill of beans and uh in which mags is suddenly um elevated to the role of sh- she's she's like the greatest showman but she's the greatest showwoman werewolf uh running running the psychic circus on a planet that's basically um full of refugees so we can get the the great thing is uh Richard has kind of imbued what could be a sort of nostalgia fest you know the style of it is kind of a bit film noir you know 1940s looking but actually the story is very now very relevant to events in the world unfortunately um and yes and i had the very scary task of drawing um basically uh, you know three a three part story with my drawing my characters and in fact drawing Sylvester wasn't a problem for me it's like drawing all the other bits you know drawing, drawing invented uh planets and interiors and tardises that was very very challenging but i think i think we pulled it off yeah. and uh <laughs> yeah and and well and kudos to Richard for i mean it's it's wonderful that people can have ideas and actually see them come to fruition so. And do you see any kind of similarities any kind of crossover between drawing a character on the page and performing them um you know because obviously when you're drawing mags on the page you have to imagine yourself you know um acting the role and therefore you're drawing the emotions that you would have given if it was in front of a camera mm-hmm. and then obviously you're doing the same in front of a camera or in front of a microphone yes Yes indeed um unfortunately this is audio so I can't show you all the <laughs> photographs I took of myself in situ with a lot of hand gestures a lot of expressions on my face and um and I did purposefully concentrate on having the close ups because I think the acting um and the fact that in my artwork I I concentrate a lot on portraiture I mean they are definitely related it's to do with the story the story that one is telling through you know your your physical actions and the words do the the you know the, the storytelling work as well um so i was definitely doing that and i was also supposed to having to take on a role that is becoming more and more um should we say kind of familiar to me which is like being an art director or film director and choosing the shot that i want to to have because i don't have the luxury of of having a moving camera to, you know i've got to choose two images that are going to tell you where we are or what aspect of the um place or part in the story that we need to be thinking about so 
um, they're, they're almost like stop motion. You know, I'm just picking the, the, the most vital elements to highlight and keep the story arc going. But I think, I think that it can relate backwards to, I think in um, learning this whole new skill of drawing and telling a story on a page, it's made me think about, um, if you like, I, script writing and also reading scripts, sort of thinking, does this resonate or why, why am I getting a bit bored with it? You know, it's comics are a wonderful way of focusing your uh, attention span and you do know whether or not you're, you're just being given kind of fillers, boring, unnecessary things very quickly. So um, it's, it's a wonderful tool in that regard. And also, yeah, in my acting, I've become a lot more excited about my acting because I can kind of, so looking at it, looking at it like a director, I'm kind of stepping outside of myself, so I can, yeah. I'm probably talking a load of rubbish, so because <laughs> no, nobody knows, nobody can psychoanalyze themselves or, or be all things to all people, but I do think it's a very useful thing for anybody who's a creative to wear a different hat. If nothing else, it kind of takes you out of your, uh, this thing of like, I call it the, uh, the watched kettle never boil syndrome, that, you know, as a writer, you're waiting for an answer on your script or your book. As an actor, you're waiting for the part to arrive. You know, I think as an in- instinctively creative person, which all people in the arts are, you know, just just try, just try something. Who's, who cares? No one's really watching. And if, yeah. if you want them to watch, just put it on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Jessica Martin's various Doctor Who dramas for Big Finish Productions, including Last of the Colophon with Tom Baker, Signs and Wonders with Sylvester McCoy, and the new trilogy with Sylvester McCoy, where she reprises the role of Mags, including The Monsters of Gokroth, The Moons of Vulpana, and An Alien Werewolf in London, which will be released over the next couple of months by BigFinish.com on CD and MP3. The Doctor Who comic book strip, drawn by Jessica, again featuring the werewolf character Mags alongside the Seventh Doctor and his companion Ace, is available in the graphic novel Operation Volcano. And she'll be signing copies of the latest Doctor Who 13th Doctor comic book, which is being given away free on Free Comic Book Day at Forbidden Planet Megastore on Shaftesbury Avenue in London on Saturday the 4th of May from 3pm. Jessica Martin's forthcoming graphic novel autobiography, A Life Under Lights, will be published shortly by Unbound Books. And you can find more information about that and all of her other work by going to jessicamartinofficial.com. You can find all previous episodes of Audio Dramatics on our website, panelborders.wordpress.com, including interviews with writer, actor and director Nigel Fares about his pastiche of Agatha Christie, Shilling and Sixpence Investigate, Naomi Alderman talking about her work on Zombies Run, and interviews with the creators of audio dramas based on Robin of Sherwood and The War of the Worlds, amongst various other episodes. Audio Dramatics will be back in two months' time on the third Wednesday in June, and to play out today's show, Here's another extract from a Doctor Who drama featuring Jessica Martin, in which her character Mags is discussing her fate with the monster hunter Varon, played by Jeremy Hitchin, in the drama The Monsters of Gokroth, which also features Sylvester McCoy as the Doctor. Thanks for listening. Why doesn't it surprise me that you know my world? 
A lot like you came and went. Curiosity is a very human instinct. Some of us simply help others to satisfy that urge. I know. I was carted off and put on display. Oh, so few of you left now. So little opportunity to experiment. You don't even need moonlight to transform. Something's wrong with me. I've travelled too much. All the more reason to install a brain implant. I could probably trigger the change at will. Summon the wolf at the touch of a button. No! I will not go back to a freak show! Now, now, I need to... My ship! Who has done this to my ship? I'm no expert, but I'd say your flight deck's pretty much smashed to bits. Not all going your way after all, is it? And there we go with the wonders of electromagnetism. This program has been brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you liked what you heard and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm.